0: The following Dharma talk was given at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota. The speaker is Mark Nunberg, guiding teacher at Common Ground. So maybe this is a good time to welcome all the people who are listening um, here both in the metro area but also around the country listening. I, I think we even heard that there's some people in England who have been listening in to the Buddhist studies. And most of you know that all the programs at Common Ground are offered freely in the spirit of generosity. And uh, what we ask is that people have a healthy, conscious relationship with the center. And what that means is to turn it into a practice of receiving whatever you get, excuse me, from being part of the community, just to receive that in an awakened, conscious way. Oh, it's nice. And it happens because of so many causes and conditions like people's previous generosity allows the center to operate in this way. And it's our practice to let that touch our hearts. And then if we feel inspired to respond and to contribute in whatever way that that would look, volunteering, contributing money, sending your loving wishes to the community, to the teachers and the staff, then let that generosity also be a free gift so that doesn't feel like there are um, strings attached or complications. It's really a positive enlivening force to receive whatever you receive from being part of the community, and it's an enlivening force in your life when you contribute in any way that you contribute. And in this way, in a practical way, common ground, as a you know medium size or so nonprofit, we seem to be doing quite well, or just well enough, in terms of the money coming in. Supports allows us to have our paid staff and support our teachers and have a beautiful building and begin now to develop our retreat property out at uh, Prairie Farm, Wisconsin. And if you have any questions about that, Gail Iverson, our longtime teacher and former board chair and bookkeeper works on Tuesdays you can contact the center then and Gabe Keller Flores our office manager is usually there on Monday, Wednesdays and Fridays and they can answer your questions or just check in with me after the program. So <clears throat> starting next week we'll get interested in breaking the chains <laughs> right how do we interrupt? the repeated cycles of suffering. But at least for one more week, we're really studying how seductive, how well greased these circles, patterns of suffering are. And now you know how we always in Buddhism talk about experience as one moment of mind conditioning the next moment of mind conditioning the next moment of mind. So when we break that down a little more carefully, we have past causes leading to present moment effects. And with present moment effects mixed with past causes, the influence from the past, there's a tendency to set in motion present moment effects leading to future causes, right? Or future effects. So we have past causes, present effects from those past causes, present causes, what are we planting, seeds we're planting right now in the present moment, leading to future effects. And this is a way to break down, like how is it that there's this appearance of me suffering, me feeling burdened, me feeling weighed down by life. How does that happen? Well, there's this dynamic. In Buddhism, we call it samsara, these cycles of suffering. This is ordinary experience. And so the past causes, because we've suffered, because our heart has been burdened in the past, that the burdensomeness of life has distorted how we experienced, how we have understood our experience, leaving a left something left over. One way to think about what's left over is the distortions in our perception, right? Because of having suffered you know i mentioned last week i think it was that you know in a simple way you can say what's left over is there's a hunger right doesn't i mean check right now see if this isn't in, in fact the case there's a hunger for a sense of me to get something from life i.e. satisfaction right it's like there is an expectation here in my heart, as I live, that my life, my experience of body and mind, is really here to deliver some kind of satisfaction. I expect life to provide satisfaction and when it doesn't, I feel betrayed or disappointed. I may be consistently disappointed, but generally we carry on with the expectation, yeah, but if I get my act together, or if my partner gets their act together, or if the world gets its act together, then my life will be satisfying. It will deliver what I think it should deliver. Or we might get in this neurotic relationship where because life hasn't delivered, we don't expect it to to deliver, So what it's delivering is the confirmation that I'm right that life isn't going to deliver, right? My partner's not going to deliver. My body's not delivering. It's getting older and more achy. But at least my, my idea that life sucks, right? That's getting confirmed. So in a way, that expectation is being met. I'm right. Life doesn't deliver. Life sucks. Right? So in a relatively neurotic or relatively not neurotic we're in this particular relationship. And so as I mentioned, the leftover from having been a suffering being, our mind, our heart pushed around by suffering, are these ongoing distortions. Because we're superficial, because we're not seeing clearly, we imagine things are permanent when they're actually... Changing. We imagine experience is satisfactory when ultimately it isn't satisfactory. We imagine, expect, pretend that experience is me or mine, personal, when it isn't personal. And that some experiences are beautiful when they're not beautiful. Doesn't mean they're ugly, but they're not beautiful, they're just what they are. So these are called the four distortions of perception, you know, taking something to be permanent when it's something that comes and goes, taking something to be satisfactory when it's fundamentally not going to provide lasting satisfaction, taking something to be personal that's not personal, taking something to be beautiful when it's not really beautiful. It's just what it is. Neither beautiful nor ugly. It's just what it is. And so these, we talk about as the past causes, and the result, like what what you get from those past causes is you get this, mind and body. A sensitive mind and body. In Buddhism, we call that the five aggregates, or the Buddha called that the five aggregates, which is just body, the five physical senses, the sensitivity of the five physical senses, and the mind are these four, Things, perception, feeling tone, consciousness, and somewhat of a catch all category mental formations. This uh, importantly includes intention and all the other uh, mental conditions that arise because of, you know, when we have contact and there's perception and a feeling tone, and, you know, if it's contact, there's consciousness of it, it's being known. And that triggers a lot of, you know, based on my past conditioning, a lot of mental stuff arises because of the contact. And that's that category of mental formation, kind of a catch-all category. So that's, those four things really are mind. So we have the sensitivity of the body, and we have the sensitivity of the mind. And the Buddha just highlights perception, feeling, tone, consciousness, and intention, and the other mental formations, mental constructions there. So that's what we get. Because of what was left over, we had the five aggregates, or just in more simple words, you could call it the mind and body, the sensitivity of the mind and body. But it's interesting, when the Buddha talked about the five aggregates, the mind and body, he talked about it as the aggregates of clinging. So because of what's left over from the past, so the past causes, there's this sensitivity and there is this, like I've been calling this expectation for the sensitivity. There's a me involved with the sensitivity and a me who has an expectation to get something, to feed on my experience, to get something from my experience. So this is a kind of a fundamental pattern in an ordinary human being, somebody with a mind and body, a sensitive mind and body, is this part of this activity of mind is a sense, an ongoing sense, of getting something from experience. Experience is here to give me something. My life is here to provide something like satisfaction, completion, or whatever, you know, however we might articulate it. We don't have, you know, in very many moments, a real equanimous relationship to the sensitivity of the body and the mind, you know, the ongoing experiencing of the body and the mind. Oh yeah, it's just stuff happening, just stuff being felt. That's not our relationship. We're kind of sifting through our experiences and looking for like, when is my life going to deliver the goods? Oh, maybe this is—is is this it? Yeah, maybe. Oh, that wasn't good enough, though. It was okay, but it wasn't good enough. So, right, we're we look at experience. We're sensitive to experience with that expectation that it's going to deliver. So this helps us understand that um, in the experience of body-mind sensitivity, there's something else, which is the residual of ignorance, the the residual of having been pushed around by suffering, having previously operated with a lack of clarity, with these, these distortions, there's something left over you know, the, the force of ignorance. And so we have sensitivity, but we also have the lingering force of ignorance operating. And so this realm of sensitivity, body-mind sensitivity, is a restless or an uneasy realm. Does that sound familiar? Like I heard it once long ago that there's an existential itch that just characterizes our situation as human beings. And we really get to see it, feel it better when, we're, uh, when we get relatively good at states, experiencing states of calm and peace. Because then we notice the uneasiness. We need that contrast of feeling peaceful, calm, And then we can see that kind of gives us, in a way, uh, a place for wisdom awareness to view the restlessness as something happening in the present moment. And so this is what I meant in the guided meditation, that desire is inevitable, unavoidable. In this realm, there's going to be desiring. And uh, Andy Olensky, a wonderful Buddhist scholar and Someone I taught with a couple times, but I uh, really see as one of my teachers, especially early on, he had a great phrase about desire. He, he said, desire is a disequilibrium in ability, in our ability to rest at ease with conditions. Right. So if <clears throat> right, because we have the sensitivity to conditions, hearing, seeing, touches, smelling, tasting, and mental activity, we're sensitive to those six things and we're not completely at ease with the sensitivity to the five physical senses and mental activity, right? Something, there are these movements, like we have preferences, and there's no way for us in this realm to not have preferences, right? Don't we automatically know the difference between being too hot and feeling just right or being too cold and feeling just right? It's not like I have to um, you know, go through some exercise to figure out. It's like, no, I don't like this heat or I don't like this cold. So this is our, the restlessness of the five, the situation, the five aggregates of clinging, the mind and body with this tendency to grasp, to cling, to struggle, to like and dislike. So this is our present, you know, present effects is sensitivity with this restlessness, with this uneasiness, right? with the arising, the unavoidable arising of desire. So I mentioned last week <coughs> to really start paying attention and we had this nice article by Gil Franzdahl. Um, what was it called again? The Spectrum of Desire. Because he wanted to really uh, flesh out the difference between desire without suffering and desire with suffering. And he Suggest maybe we use a different word, like aspiration. You know, like when we're cold, we can notice the cold, we can notice the heart being uneasy with the cold, and we can be aware of that initial aspiration. If there's something to be done about this cold, may it be done. You know? If there's a sweater to put on, a thermostat to adjust. If there's something to be done without setting emotion suffering, then may it be done. So it's like what the what wisdom does in that moment is it imagines it, it kind of allows itself to imagine a pathway or it looks for a pathway, a movement, to address the cold that doesn't cause suffering. And it, it sort of allows intention right, into action to flow that way. Because of course, wisdom isn't gonna be interested in action that leads to suffering, even if it addresses the cold, right? Why would we do that? We're not interested in making things worse, right? Getting rid of the cold only to cause some other kind of suffering, like stealing somebody's sweater, and then always living forever worried they're going to catch us wearing their sweater, right? Like, and we wouldn't do that with wisdom awareness. But if there was a way for the cold to be addressed, then nature would just flow that way because that avenue has been opened up. So this is how we don't, like, we don't want to cultivate a fear of taking care of business, the business of life, of feeding the body, of developing relationships, of earning a living, and just taking care of the business of life. Obviously, how could avoiding that be the path for liberation? You know, it's sort of like, okay, I'm sensitive, and to be liberated, I'm, I'm going to be sensitive, but I'm going to hold up someplace, you know, where I don't do anything. I don't act out any desire. It's really about how to allow desire to move without it being the cause for suffering. And that's even something you can drop in. And I mentioned last week something you can share in your groups. When has desire moved in your life in a way that didn't seem to have reverberations of suffering, of stress? When has desire moved in your life where there were lots of reverberations of stress and suffering for you and others? I mean... Hopefully you have some examples of both of those sides. When has there been a movement of desire so that there you are, a sensitive human being, present effects from past causes, right? And there's some movement to have a nice home, to have a healthy relationship with another human being, to raise a family, to feed the body, to make the world a better place, right? These would be natural movements of desire. And the heart recognized the wholesomeness of that desire, the appropriateness of that desire. It it saw an avenue, never perfect, but an avenue that seemed to sort of be a place to move into for intention to move into action, that wasn't creating stress in my heart, wasn't creating stress in the world, the reverberations of suffering. And it doesn't, it's like, this is moment by moment, so it's not like a one-time decision, because then in the next moment, it's just the next moment of it. So it's there's a real vigilance, moment to moment, vigilance of the wholesomeness of that movement of desire. And if not, pausing in a sense and relooking how can this desire move without planting seeds of stress can it move cuz we always have the option to just feel that aspirational movement of desire without action until that pathway opens up that appears not to be not going to be causing any suffering and then Intention is, is allowed to express itself, right? Always moment by moment. So where in your life have you felt that more nimble, creative, forceful, it can be even really fierce and intense, the movement of desire, but no trace, no trace of suffering or little trace of suffering, stress, from what could have been a really big movement in your life into action, words spoken, or it could be the action of refraining from speaking and doing, right? You know, because action can be both sort of positive and negative, not negative in a bad sense, but negative in a holding back sense. When have you seen that where the aftertaste was, I, I trust that, I don't regret that movement into action. That seemed skillful. Not a cause of suffering. And then, other, you know, the obvious example of when was it? So, part of the present effects um, is really this misunderstanding. This is how the Buddha says it. But, practitioners, as to that which is called mind and mentality and consciousness, the uninstructed worldling, us (laughs) is unable to experience revulsion toward it. So revulsion probably maybe there's a better word that's that's sort of a loaded word experience revulsion toward the mind it's really meaning like when we look at the mind look at consciousness look at mentality we really see the limitations of having a mind and body not just the mind The uninstructed worldling is unable to experience revulsion toward it, unable to become dispassionate toward it, and to be liberated from it. For what reason? Because for a long time, this has been held to be, held to be, um, this has been held by one uh, to be appropriated and grasped thus. This is mine. This I am, this is myself. And so that's how the Buddha talks about how ignorance, you know, in terms of our present effects of having a mind and body, a sensitive mind and body, for a very long time, we interpret the sensitivity as me or mine. That's that expecting something from it, that the sensitivity of the mind and body is personal. So it's going to, should, personally deliver what I personally want or expect. So that's that sets us up. So then our karma, if we want to break free, because the tendency with sensitivity plus that's the seeds of ignorance, taking the sensitivity personally, is to, when desire arises, is to go right to craving, right? So then we personalize that movement of desire. We're cold, and we leave behind the experience of coldness, and we go, we identify, the mind identifies with the story. I'm cold. I don't want to be cold. I want to be done being cold. What can I do? And we grasp, we do some action, think some thoughts, say some things, do some physical actions, and we become the person who was called and did something about it. So we reinforce the underlying problem, which is the misperception of sensitivity. Taking sensitivity to be something it's not. Right, framing, there is sensitivity. Right? There's a mind and body that's sensitive and there's this habit of framing that experience as me or mine. And then that's what we call moving from present effects, being a sensitive person with the seeds of ignorance, to present causes. Because right? we're setting in motion more stuff now. Because we're reusing, reinforcing that self-frame, self-centered frame, or ignorance. And because we're reusing it, we're cutting the groove deeper. It's easier to use it again. And so that's what we always do, or almost always do. We're in this disequilibrium, right? Because there's this sensitivity and a very deep deep habit to personalize it so there's the disequilibrium you know there's going to be these movements of heart based on our conditioning how we've been conditioned by the past what our likes and dislikes are and we will be tendency to personalize it we could train the mind just to notice the movement of desire and in feeling the desire see if there's a movement to express my life without planting seeds of suffering, without falling into a self-project. Because I can feed my body without a self-project, and I can put a sweater on without a self-project, without it being a self-centered thing, a drama. We can do everything a human being needs to do better without framing it as a self-centered drama. The self-centered drama, the only thing it adds to the mix is tension. And the tension itself reinforces the sense that it's personal. How do I know it's personal? Because it's tight. Why would it be tight if it weren't personal? So the suffering reinforces the cause for suffering. As the Buddha says very clearly, The cause for suffering is not understanding it. And the Buddha's way of understanding the cause for suffering is these teachings, are these teachings on dependent co-arising? Like the natural way. So just to finish this up before we break into small groups. So we have past causes, ignorance, seeing things wrongly, misperceiving, like taking things to be personal that aren't, taking things to be permanent that are impermanent, so on. Present effects, sensitive mind and body, and this tendency to continue to misinterpret, to put a self-frame, self-centered frame on experiencing, including desire. So either then the mind has been trained to notice that tendency to put a self-centered frame on desiring and to notice how that's stressful and to notice the possibility of not doing that, right? That's called practice, right? We're being aware of the present moment, which means there's a sensitive being sensing experience and liking some of it and ignoring the neutral and not liking some of it. And there's wisdom that's remembering This is just a natural process. This is how it is when you're sensitive, the liking and the not liking, the pleasant and the unpleasant and the neutral. It's just stuff being known, including the desire, the wanting to grasp, the wanting to take it personally. But that too can just be seen as a natural process when wisdom awareness is practicing. But if there's not wisdom awareness, you can bank on that process leading to craving, grasping. Grasping is just when we act on craving. So you, you think of like craving is already some, some stress, but when we start to grasp, then we've created karma, uh, karmic, we planted a karmic seed. We've left an impression in the heart. And then that leads to becoming, We're, we're the one. we become the one who's got a stronger tendency because of the seed that was planted. So then we have, you know, the next moment, really, of being an entangled human being. And so there's some suffering. And the suffering has the tendency to distort our perception. So we're less likely to see clearly because we're suffering. Like the Buddha says in that famous discourse on the dart. This is a real. This is a really good uh, sutta discourse to study, and it basically goes. You know, being a human being, we're going to get hit with darts. It just comes with the territory. Difficult experience arises. Mental experience, physical experience, sights, sounds that are difficult. And what we do when things are difficult <clears throat> is we have a reaction because we personalize the difficulty then we personally have a problem. We construct a me who's having a problem because I'm cold. And the more we do that, we become an unhappy person and we want to deal with that. So we become more addicted, more dependent on pleasurable experience because we don't know what else to do with all the unpleasant experience except to go looking for pleasant experience to give us some relief from the unpleasantness of the first dart that we have, we're cold, and the second dart, I hate being cold. Right? So this is really unpleasant, all the variations of the two darts. Difficult thing happens, we, act, we react to the difficult thing in a stressful way. That happens a lot. We want relief from that. We get overly dependent on pleasant experience, hungry for pleasant experience. What's in the fridge? What's on the tube? What's you know? We look for something to entertain us, to to be pleasant, and in doing that, we become ignorant, unaware of neutral experience. The Buddha says in this discourse, because we're dependent now, overly dependent, neurotically dependent unpleasantness because we had a neurotic or an unwise relationship to what was unpleasant. We reacted to the unpleasant by hating it. And it became the whole thing, the unpleasant and the not liking it, became really unpleasant. So then we became neurotically dependent on pleasant experience, which causes the mind to ignore all the neutral experience. And all three of those are stressful, being neurotic about unpleasant and hating it, imagining that pleasant experience is going to save the day. It doesn't. We've had a lot of pleasant experience. None of it has saved our days. right? And ignoring neutral experience means we start slowly becoming more and more disembodied, not connected because so much of life is neutral. But we're totally not interested in because we're dependent on something pleasant, saving the day, saving the moment. And so that's another way of the Buddha talking, this famous discourse on the two darts, the second dart, or sometimes translated as the second arrow, right, just kind of perpetuates itself. So in your small groups tonight, really uh, unpack some experience of desire, And it could be even real time, like the desire for your three minutes to be over, or your desire to have something wise to say to the folks you're with, or whatever, that something happens so you don't have to have your turn, whatever it is, or just something from the recent past that you observed, like I said, times when desire, the very natural, inevitable desires that arise, didn't turn out to be a problem. Even neurotic desires. But you could just, no, yeah, that's just a neurotic desire. You know, lusting after someone that's just not appropriate to be lusting after. Or wanting somebody's nice sweater (laughs) that's not your sweater. Or whatever it is, like wanting somebody to go away, not to exist because they bother you. But we can be aware of these so-called neurotic desires, like, oh, yeah, that kind of hatred, sometimes it's like this. But I don't need to be confused by it. That's the option, right? There is this hatred, there is this unpleasant feeling that, that moves into hatred, what I'd call hatred, a strong not liking. But I can feel the feeling... I can sense that movement, how it wants to move into hatred, but not personalize any of that. So where has that happened in your life? And all the times you've dug a hole with desire and got reborn as the person who's in the hole, you know, who's planted seeds that you got to deal with, right? Made a mess. So that's the becoming and then birth Birth into a suffering realm. That's that, what is that, the fourth place. So We have past causes, the ignorance, present effect, sensitive being, uh, present causes, doing something with our sensitivity, becoming, you know, craving, grasping, becoming. Somebody's going to personally do something about his likes and dislikes being born as a suffering person because of that grasping that action right and then again that leading to ignorance the distortions the unfinished business that affects the present of pre- the next present moment which is we have sensitivity with the tendency to cling